Greetings and welcome back to One True Pod. We are the Big 12 Podcast on the Andy Staples Show and Friends podcast feed. Thanks as always for listening. My name is Max Olson and I'm joined today by my dear friend Sam Con Jr. and Jason Kersey. Fellas, hello. How we doing? What's I, I, up? Okay, I just want to say something really quick, guys. Um, a couple of years ago, I was having a big problem with a friend of mine. <laughs> And uh, we were thinking, what would an ex- extraordinary person do? And you guys are extraordinary podcast hosts. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> extraordinary. That we are. We appreciate oh, it. Buddy, we got a lot to hit today, don't we? <laughs> There's a lot of things are afoot in this damn conference. Um, you want you want to start there, Jason? You want to start with the Texas Longhorns? I think we have to. I kind of feel like we have to. Sam, what's going on? Oh, my goodness. It's bad. Are Are they... Are they going to a bowl game this year? We don't know that. We are two weeks left in the season, and we do not know if the Texas Longhorns are going to a bowl game, which I think is an indictment of where they are as a program right now. I think we, Max, Jason, we talked about this at the preseason. I think none of us thought, some people may have thought outside the building, but us three did not think this was a team that was going to contend for the conference championship. I know when we did the over-under picks, we both had them around eight and four. And I remember saying that if if we had to go over or under the eight number, that I said, Max, you and I said we'd go seven and five. So I'm not terribly surprised that they're struggling, but to lose to Kansas and to lose to Kansas, yeah, at folks, home, folks, we're burying the lead here. Texas lost to Kansas, yeah, period, at home, and and we're down at by home. 21 at one point, uh, at 21 oh, at yeah. halftime. This was not some sort of fluky last second deal. Like Kansas was better than them for pretty much the whole game. Yeah, and so. It, it turns a four-game losing streak that looked like crisis mode into a disaster because now it's a five-game losing streak and you've lost now twice in five years to a program that's been a laughing stock amongst the Power Five. And first of all, credit to Lance Leipold, who had that friend team of the pod. competitive. I mean, friend goodness. of the pod, Lance Leipold, who had that team competitive against Oklahoma State. I mean, against Oklahoma, and then of course went and pulled off the upset in Austin. So kudos to the Jayhawks for for getting that done. But Texas. With the resources, the talent, the money it spends, there's just no planet on earth where this should happen with with this particular team. And so it's been a really rough week. You've got now Chris Del Conte giving a vote of confidence to see Starkeesian first 10 games into his first season. Uh, we got Board of Regents cheer Kevin Eltive showing up at practice to reaffirm that support. I mean, it's it's bananas right now in Austin on the 40 acres. It, it, things are really, really rough at Texas, and it looks like it's going to get worse before it gets better. You know where things are not rough uh, are, are in Lawrence, Kansas. Um, how about them Jayhawks? Shout out to Jared Casey, the king, the, the fullback of the year in the Big 12. Well, I shouldn't, I mean, you know, of this week. Um, for his his heroics there, getting NIL deals off of that that game winner uh, Love against that. Texas. Awesome, awesome. Incredible. Incredible. What what was that like for you guys just watching that game late Saturday night? Oh man, I we were I, I was in my hotel room in Dallas after the OU Baylor game with uh, with Barry Trammell, Ryan Aber, and Justin Martinez from the Oklahoman, and we were just into it, like uh, you know, yelling at the TV. It was so much fun uh, just to watch because the crazy thing is is that when when Texas when Casey Thompson threw the interception in the end zone, and then. They got the ball back again within like a minute and went and scored. I thought, ah, there's no way. Like at that point, it seemed like all the momentum was on Texas' side. So 
frankly, I don't know how Kansas pulled it off there in overtime. That 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 two point play looked like it was broken. Looked like it wasn't going to happen. I mean, it was just unbelievably exciting. Um, what I can't get past, guys, is that I haven't known what to make of a lot of teams in the Big Twelve this year. But Texas, you know, they get crushed by Arkansas, and I think, okay, this is going to be a rebuild year. Then the first quarter of the Oklahoma game, they looked like they could go win the damn playoff. And now they're not even going to make a bowl game. It's just, uh, it's truly remarkable. Yeah, I was in uh, Oxford watching Texas A&M and Ole Miss, and I was watching the end of that game on my phone while waiting for Jimbo Fisher to arrive for post-game interviews. And... As Jimbo Fisher walked, he probably in, was in the other room walking, watching that game too. He may he? have been, and as <laughs> it, they were late fourth quarter, about to go into overtime, and as Jimbo Fisher walked into the media room to do his press conference, Justin Moore, one of the uh, associate ads for football at Texas A&M, is behind me, and he's like, "Hey, turn the volume down, just leave it on." And since he's watching the game behind me on my phone, and everybody in the A&M press corps is fascinated and compelled by this Texas game. And I think we were all more interested in what was going on in Austin at that moment than we were with talking to Jimbo Fisher after they lost to Ole Miss. So uh, that was, I I was definitely trying to juggle a few things as I watched the end of that game. But again, it's, it's a little bit disastrous. And the the thing that I found interesting was that Sark, Sark addressed it and Crystal Conte addressed in his letter. And I wrote about it last week at the athletic about one of the biggest reasons that Texas is in this situation is because of the roster attrition, which has been really bad. I mean, roster attrition is bad everywhere, and it doesn't excuse losing to Kansas, by the way. But the reason this team is struggling right now is because they've lost a ton of talent from that 2019 class that was ranked number three in the country. It was ranked number one in the Big 12. And I counted, there were only five guys, out of 26 guys that they signed in that class, only five have started multiple games this year. And only uh, there's only 12 of them left in that class. 14 of, 14 of them either have medically retired, transferred out, or not with the program for some reason or another. And it is a class that really there is no real big-time players out of the class. It was, again, a top-five class nationally. And so when you say... R- real real fool's gold kind of class there for Texas, which you know they've had a bunch of them. Yeah, and so when you say, well, they have all this talent and they recruited this level, yes, they do. But if those guys are misevaluated or they don't pan out for whatever reason, then it doesn't matter how much, uh, how many good recruiting rankings you have because you those players have to turn into something. Which in the 2019 class, who should be your third year players should be your juniors did not. Same old story at Texas. Sam, how was uh, how was Oxford? I've never been there. Oxford was great. It's a fun game experience. They, uh, I'll tell you, I, with the lighting effects that they do in the game it's a very much nightclub atmosphere to me that's certainly what it felt like uh the crowd was packed they wore the almost wore the powder blues which by the way one of the best best Clean. uniforms in the country Clean. in my opinion uh and you know lane kiffin's got a fun team to watch boy they they, they run that up tempo offense and their defense actually played pretty well as, uh well too but the grove is cool i got to see our old friend adam rittenberg uh, from espn he was not there working he was there hanging out at a bachelor party for a friend, so I got to hang him out on the tailgate. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> oh, no, I I'm sorry, Adam, I just outed you. But um, but no, we got, got to catch up with him, and uh, it was it was good 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 experience. Oxford's definitely one of the best road trips in the SEC, in my opinion. Now, now Jason, you I believe you went to a football game over the weekend as well. I did. Um, I uh, I suppose you you witnessed the the 
sort of uh, the reckoning we've been building up to here at Oklahoma. Yeah, that's right. It, it was it was the culmination of everything that Oklahoma has done wrong and everything we've known about this team all year. It all came to a head because they finally came up with it. They fi- pardon me. They finally came up against a team that was as good or better than them. And I mean, let's just say it, guys. That was an ass kicking. I mean, Baylor yeah. Baylor thoroughly beat them, and uh, and it was oh, all. If, the- if Baylor scores on some of those opportunities early in the game, it it would have been a huge margin. I think, yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't even close, and and it didn't really feel close uh, for for much of the game, even if the final score was relatively close. I mean, it was all the same things. Oh, you couldn't run the ball. Caleb Williams was, was the final margin ten or thirteen? By the way, I'm trying to remember. It was thirteen. It was, <laughs> it was 13. thirteen. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. Which doesn't matter um, at all. But uh, but yeah, the you know the it, it was there was iffy quarterback play. They couldn't run the ball. They gave up big plays. They didn't stop Baylor on third down. I mean, it was just all the things that we've been saying about Oklahoma all year finally came to a head. And and look, I mean they. They proved the playoff committee right in where the playoff committee had Oklahoma ranked. And um, now they've got to go play Iowa State, a team that is certainly capable of beating them, which we know just from last year. And then they got to go play Oklahoma State in Stillwater, which I know we're going to talk about Oklahoma State a little bit later, but they have one of the best defenses in America. And that's going to be a tough, tough, tough road environment for Caleb Williams to step into. And so all of a sudden, Oklahoma preseason national champion pick, uh, popular preseason national championship pick, could could end up not even in the Big Twelve championship game if they don't if they don't figure some things out and fast. What what was going through your mind when Lincoln Riley did, you know, <laughs> you know, did go make the switch there and give Spencer Rattler a shot? And look, I I think. We, we love to kind of like attach these narratives to this stuff of like, oh, this is Caleb Williams team now and it's it, the future is him and they're going to be this team for Lincoln doesn't care. He just wants to win a damn game. Right. So right. he's going to throw in whoever he's got to throw in to try and win um, in that case, pulling pulling Caleb Williams, putting in Spencer Rattler, you know, it didn't, you know, really swing the game. Uh, but it does create a, a bit of an issue now. What, what did you make of that? And, and how has that played out this week? I guess I would say that like it was less of a, you know, holy shit moment <laughs> as it w- as it was when he did it in Red River. When he did it yeah. in Red River, that was like, oh my god, uh he's actually doing this. In this case it was a less because we've seen him do it before. So it was a little bit less uh shocking. And we knew Caleb Williams was hurt a little bit. Too. That's right. That's right too. Because Caleb Williams, JT Woods had stepped on his hand. I don't think that was intentional, but you know, just sort of a thing that happened on the sideline, uh, you know, stepped on Caleb Williams hand, uh, his throwing hand. And I'm sure that affected it. Now Lincoln Riley did say after the game that that wasn't uh, a factor in his decision to make the change. He just wanted to give the team a spark. But here's the truth is that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Lincoln Riley knows more about football than I will ever know. And that's, you know, I'm just saying that before. And specifically quarterbacks. And specifically quarterbacks before I criticize him. What I don't understand is that Baylor, the reason Baylor was having success is they were getting pressure on Caleb Williams. They were forcing him to make bad decisions. He's a lot more mobile than Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler is a lot more of a statue back there. So 
if you weren't having success with the mobile Caleb Williams, why would you think then that Spencer Rattler would be the answer in that moment? That's what, that's what didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And after two series, he went right back to Caleb Williams and he did confirm uh, this week that Caleb Williams is the starter moving forward. So that's why it just was a little bit weird. It felt a little panicky almost. It did. And you know, one thing I I looked up after that game and and mentioned to you, Jason was you, you look at this Oklahoma season now and, and when they've played, uh, defenses that are in the top 50 in, in scoring defense, they're they're only scoring 22 points a game. Right. When they played the rest, when they played Tulane, Texas, TCU, Texas Tech, Kansas, they're scoring 47 points a game. But when they've gone against good defenses, it hasn't been it hasn't been fireworks. Sam, you know part of that is because Baylor's defense is, is can be pretty damn good. What did you make of just the Baylor side of that and and another another signature victory here for for Dave Aranda in year two? Not shocked at all. I mean, I've seen this team up close and personal, and the personnel they have on defense. I think people underrate, A, how good they are defensively because of what they've done with Jeff Grimes this year offensively and and the turnaround they've had there. But they're a really good defensive team. And the other thing is, and, and I thought about this before that game kicked off, this is a very mature team that has a ton of guys on that two deep and in that starting lineup that played Oklahoma two years ago that were up 28-3 to against Oklahoma, that went wire-to-wire with them in the Big 12 championship game. This team is not scared of Oklahoma. This team did not think, oh, this 9-0 Oklahoma team is going to be a tough team to beat. No, they felt like 18 of the 22 starters in that Baylor lineup were were on that 2019 team. So they Wait, hold on. So you're saying you can retain players after a coaching transition? Absolutely. Yeah, if you if you Whoa. do <laughs> if you do it right, uh it, it helps. Also it also helps if you're successful, which you know they weren't eleven three team when Matt Rowe moved on. But uh no, they're they're not there was no transfer there was a few guys that transferred, certainly, but yeah, we're not in the moment where oh Lincoln Rye is gonna take the LSU job and Caleb Williams with him. It doesn't work like that all the time. Actually, oftentimes it does not work like don't, that. Don't don't even pepper that into these things. We we can't <laughs> we can't you're gonna get us like aggregated if you say something like that. No, Just be very careful. No, here. we do not. We Bruce Feldman made it pretty clear that that is not happening. So despite what you may hear out there. Trust the people who actually break these. Wait, these Jason, stories. do you want to tell the Baton Rouge to to Norman story real quick? Yeah, that, that was sort of funny um, that, you know, Lincoln Riley missed his press conference last week um, for reasons that I still don't know 100% why. But what I do know is that he wasn't interviewing for the LSU job. I can tell you that. Uh, with certainty and people flight tracker season, man, everybody's checking flight tracker and assuming that if there is a flight from Norman to Baton Rouge or vice versa, that that must mean the search committees on their way to Norman or Scott Woodward's flying to Norman or whatever. And honestly, what it ended up being was, it's just some guy who lives in Baton Rouge. Who's an LSU fan. Whose daughter, whose wife has family in Norman, whose daughter goes to OU. So he travels back and forth a decent amount and uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was a man and Does his... He uh, travel alone? Um, it was a man, his wife, and their Shih Tzu uh, on, on, that, on those flights. <laughs> Shih Tzu named Sassy, by the way, which makes it even better. Uh, and I actually got to talk to him, and he, he finds the whole thing pretty amusing. But, you know, even after it came out that that wasn't, you know, that those flights had nothing to do, those rumors percolated, continued this week. They're still continuing. It's nonsense. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense when you really stop and think about it. And, uh, but you know, this is, this is silly season, man. We're already, I, in silly I promise season. we will tape like an emergency pod. If that actually happens, yes. if it ha- we hey. shouldn't have to, we shouldn't have to break it down too much until then. Yes. Yes. One, 100%. Yeah. I would also say that, 
these flight tracker things, it's fun and it's funny, but it's all often just ridiculous. There are perfectly legitimate reasons why there might be flights between two college towns. Professors, research, there's a million things that, that could be going on. Um, and I would also point out that anyone flight tracking OU from now on, just know that when they're bringing coaches in for interviews or when coaches are going out for interviews, they never fly out of the Norman airport. They're smarter than that. <laughs> never fly out of the Norman airport. And oftentimes they, they don't even meet in the college town. A lot of times they'll meet at a neutral location yeah. and yeah. do the interview in an airport hangar. Yeah. It, it's, it's right. We're 80s, doing this in hotels. We're not yeah, doing this on campus. Eighties yeah. know that people are tracking this stuff and most of them are smart enough not to make it so obvious that you could follow their tracks. But but to to the point about Baylor, that they've been a fantastic squad. They, like you said, they've retained those players, and they've been the heart of this team, and a big reason why, despite a two and seven year last year and a rough go in Dave Aranda's first year, that they've been able to bounce back and get back into the Big Twelve title mix. And Gary Bohan has been great at quarterback. Abram Smith in the running game has been fantastic, and that defense with Terrell Bernard, Jalen Petrie, Dylan Doyle, it's been a really really solid group, and they're still in the Big Twelve title hunt now, thanks to that win against Oklahoma. Yeah, the, the Big 12 title race has uh, in some ways simplified, in some ways kind of not really. I mean, there's not just a – it's not as straightforward as, you know, Oklahoma State wins this week and they're in. Um, so I, I I haven't personally made made the big old grid yet. Jason, have you? I, I've been slacking this week the, the of all the scenarios. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a lot of fun on Monday uh, wasting a lot of time going through – scenarios there is still a chance that we could end up with a four-way tie for second it's not likely but it's possible there's a couple different scenarios a lot of losses have to happen for the good teams coastal chaos comes to the big 12 we need you know in order for that to happen (laughs) texas tech needs to beat oklahoma state this weekend iowa state needs to beat oklahoma this weekend kansas state needs to beat baylor this weekend so there's a lot that needs to happen in order for and we'll get into our picks later but but you know what in this conference you can't say all three of those things couldn't all happen yeah, yeah, 100%. So uh, this could be a really, really fun, uh, interesting, chaotic end to the Big 12 season. Uh, or it could be relatively straightforward. Um, the team that is now well-positioned, uh, clear path to, to get to the Big 12 championship, is Oklahoma State. And uh, they are now number nine in the, uh, the new college football playoff rankings, which... I don't know how much that really matters because, uh, you know, you've got a chance, you know, you have to beat Oklahoma to be legitimate in the eyes of a lot of people if you're Oklahoma State. And you're going to have a chance to play yeah, presumably a top 15 team uh, in the conference title game, depending on kind of how these these last few games shake out. Uh, I wrote about Oklahoma State today. I talked to Mike Gundy this week about uh, his team and, and um, you know, who and, and, you know, he did not spin to me that this team is incredible and better than 2011 and all that kind of stuff. He knows uh, they've, they've gone through some, some struggles here early in the season. September was a rough month. They had so many injuries um, at re- wide receiver, especially, but also running back. You, you, um, you know, you've lost a couple of key players on defense. They played really close games in non-conference play, um, but have turned it on since then. And uh, this defense guys is, you know, by some, by some measures I looked at, the best the Big 12's had since 09 Nebraska. I mean, they're giving up. When you, you think about a defense in conference play, holding teams to 15 points a game and not allowing 400 yards in any game so far this season, um, <laughs> what they're doing is 
is really special. I know at times in the, over the course of the season, we've we've sort of hinted at, okay, do we think Oklahoma State is legit or not? Um, they they just destroyed TCU, Sam. So I'll start with you. Uh, what where are you at with with Mike Gundy's squad here? And and uh, you know not just how how good they are, but you know Big Twelve title playoff kind of. What do you see as the upside here? I mean, I think I think they're they're the Big Twelve favorite at this point, and they should be. I, I, if when we they go play Bedlam next week, assuming they take care of business uh, this Saturday against Texas Tech, when they go play Bedlam, I think they should be the favorite. I think they're the better team right now. And based on we we talked about Oklahoma having its ups and downs, certainly Oklahoma State did. But Oklahoma State, let me read off to you some numbers from last week against TCU: <laughs> four hundred forty-seven rushing yards, eight touchdowns on the ground, four forty-seven against TCU and granted TCU is not a very good team and they're beat up but no one's done that to TCU this year not to that degree uh I mean SMU ran for 350 on them way early in the season but uh th- this defense obviously 17 points given up uh, Chandler Morris who by the way lit Baylor up the week before 103 passing yards no touchdowns uh the run game only 108 yards 3.4 per carry so this Oklahoma State team, and you talk about that defense, I love how versatile they are on on defense. They feel like a little bit of a positionless defense to a certain degree where they've got a lot of bodies that are very similar, both at linebacker and in the defensive backfield. Very athletic, sound. They play gap sound. They hit hard. Uh, I, I've seen them in person, and, and I was really impressed. Uh, you know, Malcolm Rodriguez, in my opinion, one of the best defensive players in the country, and uh, honestly, I think should be favorite Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year right now. I guess him and Jalen Petrie, but uh, but th- this is a really good team, and I think honestly, if you made me pick Bedlam today, which is a week and a half early, uh, I'm taking the Pokes. Jason, uh, I-, I imagine folks in Norman are-, are often not very scared of of Oklahoma State teams. Uh, certainly, since uh, Lincoln Riley touched down in in 2015, uh, the the run here. Of, of consecutive victories is, is obvious in this rivalry. Um, which, by the way, man, Tyreek Hill, the punt return. That was a long time ago. It was. We're it getting was. old, guys. Um, it was. So what, like, what, what is the, the mood around there about, you know, the, this is a game next week, and, and certainly Oklahoma is not overlooking Iowa State, cannot look, overlook Iowa State. But uh, we are building up to what I have to imagine is going to be a pretty epic game in, in sort of the recent history of, of this very hated rivalry. Yeah, Bedlam is a fascinating rivalry because every year we go into it, I feel, well, maybe not every year, but most years it feels like we go into it thinking, well, Oklahoma State's going to have a chance because of this, because of this, because of this weakness by OU. And the truth is, and I, I don't say this to upset our Oklahoma State listeners, they probably know this as well as anybody. There is something about OU that just OSU most years has a really hard time beating them, even in years when they should. There are there have been many years in the past when Oklahoma State came into it with a better team and Oklahoma State Oklahoma just won because it's just one of those rivalries. And the the historical rivalry is very lopsided. Uh, Oklahoma State right now is on the greatest run in program history under Mike Gundy, and it's not even close. I mean, when Mike Gundy took over, they had an all-time losing record. They didn't get into all-time winning record until fairly recently. Um, so they're on this unbelievable run, and then there's this one thing. They, they still have trouble in Bedlam. Unless, unless it's something a little fluky like the Tyree kill thing or 2011 
when Oklahoma State was just that much better. And this is starting to look to me like a year where Oklahoma State is just that much better. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to pick them yet. I'm still going to wait a week to make that decision on on who I'm going to pick. But uh, but at this point, uh, I think that, you know, Oklahoma State, with the way they play defense, uh, with how difficult uh, that's going to be a road environment for Caleb Williams – uh, it, it's it's not hard to imagine Oklahoma State winning that game. Now, what's really exciting is all the possibilities that we could end up with a Bedlam rematch the next week. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be pretty fun. It would, and and that makes certainly the chess match, uh, you know, even more interesting next week. A couple numbers on this Oklahoma State defense, and the offense has gotten better since since the start of October. They're 19th naturally in scoring offense. They're starting to figure it out. The receivers got healthy. Um, Jalen Warren obviously has been a revelation and, and has been awesome to, to, you know, sort of build an attack around, uh, but a couple numbers on this defense, they, uh, they're holding teams under hundred rushing yards per game in, 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 uh, uh which is the a first in the big 12 since 2011. Nobody has run for 150 on them. Even, uh, the pass defense is number one in the big 12 in big 12 play in nearly every category, only six passing touchdowns allowed all season, uh, tied for the national lead in sacks with 37, um, and they are, uh, you know, second best in the country on third, third downs and, uh, with stops on 36 of their last 43rd downs. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Um, and as, as good as Georgia and Wisconsin have been this year, um, they're, they're starting to approach that level and, uh, man, uh, it's going to be, and then you throw in next two games here, they're going against freshman quarterbacks, right, Sam? Yeah, they, uh, yeah, that's. Donovan Smith is going to start for Texas Tech, who, by the way, played really, really well. And I'm not doubting him. Yeah. Played. Awesome first start for him against Iowa State. Yeah, no, fantastic. Led them to the win over Iowa State. But like you said, a freshman and then, of course, Caleb Williams in in, Bed- in uh, Bedlam. So that that when you have an experienced defense against a young quarterback, it, again, as talented as some of these freshman quarterbacks are, that's a difficult situation to go in because these def- these defensive coordinators and, and these experienced defense have seen a lot more ball than these freshmen have. All right, two two outrages of the week to hit before we 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 get to our guest, our our lovely guest Justin Williams, uh, our, our Cincinnati beat writer for the Athletic, who's coming on to uh, preview the Bearcats' big game against SMU, um, and uh, checking in on their their playoff run here. Um, Two outrages of the week here. Let's start with the one that, that you had to deal with on, on Saturday, Jason. Um, Dave Aranda kicks the field goal uh, to, to make it 13 instead of 10 at the very end against Oklahoma after you had the field storming incident, which led to a fine from the Big 12. Um, pre- premature storming there. What did you guys make of Dave Aranda putting a couple extra points on the board there uh, in a game that uh, they were already going to win by 10? So... My thoughts on this are, uh, I think Lincoln Riley was 100% justified in asking the officials to just end the game because the, the, the students had already rushed the field. That can be a dangerous situation. And, and all they did was force them off onto the sideline for a couple minutes so that they could kick a field goal. And then they all rushed out there again. So I sort of, I completely understand Lincoln Riley's frustration and his fear for his player safety and wanting to get the game ended. Yeah, it was, that was, that part of it was a mess. That part was completely justified where Lincoln Riley loses me is when he starts complaining about a code of sportsmanship. I mean, that's just for, 
Now, I should say, Dave Aranda is not correct that point differential makes any sort of difference. I've done, you know, in my, you know, going down the rabbit it, hole. It's Big hypothetical, right? That if it, you know, if it's a bunch of teams in it, that would help you, right? But you're, you're right in terms of but the apple, actual application. Of there's that. literally no way that point differential will come into play for Baylor. I mean, okay. literally no way. That, but but my, question 12, is, is, my question is, was that clear before Saturday? Because I guess the impression I, think I got was. from the Big 12 is that that after Saturday's games that it doesn't become a factor, but because it's the third in a, in a three team tie break, it's the third tiebreaker after records against each other and records against the other teams in the league. But I mean, but, but the, the, the problem is, is that that really guys, that really only comes into play. If you've got three teams at eight and one at the top and who have all beaten each other, that's really right. the only time that it's possible that point differential could come into play. I mean, it, it would just take an, an unbelievable amount of uh, things falling into place for that to matter for Baylor, even before Saturday. So um, whether Dave Aranda knew that or not, I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. He he wanted to kick the field goal. Uh, they let him kick the field goal. Lincoln Riley has many times in his career kicked a field goal while up big in the final minutes of a game. Um, I haven't looked up the exact number, but I know that it's happened before. So, mm-hmm come on with this code of sportsmanship nonsense, like whatever, uh, you know, whatever. If you don't, Sam, what do you think? I think, but, I, but, think there, uh, I think there's sorry. a level where from like, you know, high school football and below, I think, yeah, I think you've got, you've got to conduct yourself in a certain way. And, and not to say that you shouldn't have sportsmanship. I think sportsmanship is important, but man, at the end of the day, they got 85 scholarships to man. If you don't want to point score on you, just get the stop. Okay. That's the bottom line to me. Don't complain about you coach your team and worry about your team. Let the other guy worry about his team. If he wants to do what he wants to do, that's fine. And you're free to complain about it. That's totally fine. But, you know, I, I don't see Lincoln apologize for dropping 60 on T, on Kansas, you know, in, 2000, in 2020. You're dropping 62 on Texas Tech. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not really that part. I, I understand the safety part. I agree with. I've been on the field for a field rush and it's a little scary. So I, yep. and, and perhaps they should have been penalized. Maybe perhaps Baylor should have been penalized. For yeah. That. But, but, but beyond that, like the field goal thing, like, Hey, if he wants to kick field goal, that's his team, man. You know, if you don't want him to do it, stop him. That's my, that's right. my take. And that, but, and that's one area, sorry, I wanted to add where, mm-hmm. yeah. where I do agree with, with Lincoln too, that there probably should have been a 15 yard penalty assessed, which may sure. have made the, the field goal whole thing moot anyway. You know, it's for, for me, it's kind of a glass house situation because I run up the score so much in video games that I just huh. I can't I can't, you know, I can't go at Dave Aranda for, for doing the same. I, I, I do the same all the time on the video game. You know, Kirk Herbstreit tries to shame you when you're doing it to people, but that, that doesn't stop me. You know, it's it's uh, it's part of the game. Uh, and so if you want to do it in real life, I was surprised to see it. Thought it was kind of funny. Uh, you know, that's. I'm I'm sure that uh, someone will probably try to do it to Baylor someday. If if so Dave Aranda has some petty in him that I did not know about, I am totally here for it because Dave is the you know last the smile he dropped on TV when he explained it was was kind of subtle. It, I thought it, it, was, it, it, was it makes me there. wonder I, if Dave has a little bit of that pettiness in here. Uh, it, it makes me like him even more. The the other issue that the Big Twelve had to deal with this week and an issue a statement on Sam. Um, I'm not sure how to totally like just sort of simply recap this. Would you like to explain to the folks that that missed it on Wednesday uh, what happened in Lubbock in the fourth quarter 
of Texas Tech's win against Iowa State. So Texas Tech's football play-by-play and color analyst, Brian Jensen, the play-by-play guy, John Harris, the color analysts, have been removed from the upcoming game Saturday versus Oklahoma State, and they were publicly reprimanded by the Big 12 because of comments they made criticizing officiating. And that the fir- when I first saw the release from the Big 12 about this, it puzzled me because I, my first thought was, is not criticizing officiating isn't doing that a prerequisite to being a home team college football broadcaster? Because I can promise you, when I drive yeah. across Texas every Saturday to get from one game to another, and I turn on radio broadcasts from other teams, comments about officiating are pretty commonplace from, from the home team radio crew. The, the, no doubt. The national radio crews, no, but from the home team radio crews, there's a lot of complaints and, and criticizing of officiating in the games. But where this one went a little bit beyond, I think, the normal complaining was the fact that John Harris said after a play that was initially called the Texas Tech interception was overturned and ruled incomplete pass. Uh, apparently, it was one of many calls that went in Iowa State's favor. And John Harris said, I'll say it right now, the Big 12 does not want Iowa State to lose this game. And then Jensen added that, yeah, Bob Bowles, but you need to answer for this. This is ridiculous. And there was a lot more comments. There was a, a comment that uh, I think it was – I think it was Jensen made a comment that uh, the Big 12 should be embarrassed by this and that, well, maybe the referee has a concussion and needs to get a trainer because he's acted like it the whole game. So it was a lot, and it was a theme. I went back, by the way, and listened to the audio of this game, uh, or at least the mo- most of the fourth quarter, To and it, it was a theme throughout, and there was definitely uh, some hate, some hostility toward the officiating. And, that, and at one point, uh, Jensen went and read the name of every official on live air, which by the way, that that's public information anyway, but he did it in such a way. Well, you guys need to know who these guys are. And he went one by one by one down the list of every official and including the replay official to let him know that this is the officiating crew that stinks basically today. So it was, yeah, a, it was entertaining from, from, from talking to, uh, talking to people in the big 12, uh, today, that is the element of it that, that got them in trouble. It, it wasn't, um, being upset about calls. It wasn't, you know, uh, talking about Bowlesby or talking about, you know, the Big 12 once Iowa State to win or anything like that. It was the naming of the officials uh, was the thing that they felt crossed the line. Now, Texas Tech won that game. If they had lost that game, I think there maybe there's a fear there that what are you inciting in people by doing that in a pretty charged up moment there, uh, shouting, out, uh, shouting out all their names, even though, you know, as you, as you said, Sam, these are these are listed on the front page of the box score here. You can find that. It's not... <clears throat> that's not necessarily a problem. The other thing is to just to clarify, the Big 12 is not sitting in, in the office listening to the radio broadcast, monitoring them, trying to trying to you know find something offensive that they then penalize. This was something that was people people took these audio clips, sent them to the conference, and said, "Hey, I think this is maybe a little too much here." So that's what leads to uh, the the trouble there. Um, you know, I can understand some people saying maybe this is a weird precedent to set. Uh, I, I, like I said, I don't think the the conference is is going to be tuning in every week and trying to trying to gotcha anybody. But uh, what what did you make of all this, Jason? When you when you heard this uh, kind of unfold yesterday? I mean, my first reaction was I honestly did not know that the conference had the power to suspend radio broadcasters. I, I g- genuinely did not know that that was a thing that they had the power to do. Well, by I'm the way, sure. real quick, let me jump in there. Is 
I think Texas Tech is making that argument too because they're not Texas Tech employees. They're employed by Learfield Sports, which is the broadcast rights holder. So there's some debate, I think, whether or not the Big 12 does have this jurisdiction. Well, and, and you know, I hate to make the slippery slope argument, but I do wonder, like, so what does that mean? Does that mean that, you know, if the officiating is bad and, and one of us writes a column that they don't like, is that is that grounds to revoke credential? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm just asking, where does this, where where's the line here? I, I understand... Maybe reading the officials' names is a little bit much, um, but like you said, that's public information uh, anyway. So I don't know. They probably went a little too far, and, but I, I do sort of question the suspending of them. That's uh, and also, also my other my other the, my, my last thought on it really is, I mean, why did they believe that the Big Twelve was pulling for Iowa State? Like, does does the is Iowa State like a <laughs> a power in the conference that gets special treatment? I mean, this you know, it, Mark Mangino's criticism all those years ago about how it was about dollar signs and the BCS, like that that went too far, and yet that actually kind of on some level made sense. Iowa State's six and th- aren't they six and three or like? Or they have four losses. They're, they have four losses. Like they're, it's not like they're competing for a BCA or a, a New Year's Six Bowl or something. So I, I just don't understand the the thought that w- how does that conspiracy make sense? <laughs> well, and and the other extra part of that is you had fan like you had a fan throw a water bottle onto the field and and they had you know security clear out the the area of the stands right behind the Iowa State bench. That's not the official's job. It's, that's a security problem, right? That's a security matter. It's not really the official's job to p- police, uh, you know, what should be going on in terms of uh, outside the field of play. But I know that was another element that 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 bugged the radio crew. Just just wild times, wild times in this conference. That's why we enjoy covering it. The other thing I'll add to this is that I wonder if by doing this, and I think it's a tricky situation. But I wonder if by doing this, you brought it way more attention to it than it ever would have had otherwise, because I didn't know. I wasn't listening to that end of that game, so I didn't know what was said. And I would venture to guess that other than Texas Tech fans, nobody else around the country knew what was said in this game. But by taking this action as the Big 12, you've brought attention to it. Now, guess what? Everybody who follows college football knows what was said because there were some video clips uh, posted up there with the, with the audio synced yeah, up. It's a, it, and it's a bummer that it takes away a little bit from, you know, how did, how did that game end? It ended with a 62-yard field goal by Jonathan Garibay and uh, an awesome radio call of that, you know? Um, so Which was a great it's, call, it's, by the way. It was. It was. So it's, it's too bad it takes away from that moment just a little bit. Um, but that's... That's the week that was in the Big 12. Uh, we've got uh, a lot of games to to pick here. But first, we're going to be joined by Justin Williams, uh, our Cincinnati beat writer for The Athletic, to preview the future Big 12 member and their big matchup this week uh, against SMU, uh, a game that's very important to their uh, college football playoff hopes. We're now joined by our good friend Justin Williams of The Athletic, who covers the thriving Cincinnati Bearcats. Well, I mean, you know, thriving is, I guess, in the eye of the beholder. Maybe the committee doesn't totally think so. Justin, great to have you back on the podcast this season. I am honored to be back um, on, on One True Pod. And uh, the, the Big 12 has a lot of a lot of more fans in Cincinnati this year. So I appreciate you guys having me back on. <laughs> Noticeable uptick in uh, Big 12 interest in Cincinnati this year for some reason. Um, Justin... <laughs> As I'm sure you probably have to do on every radio appearance, this is this is uh, it's your job to to defend Cincinnati and uh, you know tell us tell us why they're not frauds that uh, 
that don't belong anywhere anywhere close to the the play. I'm I'm kidding. That this is that it, I'm I'm mostly joking because that's just how the system is, right? Like if if you're not if you're not Georgia or Alabama, then you have to make a case for yourself at all times. Um, so how's let's start here. How's how's covering the Cincinnati team this season? It's it's been interesting. I was you know talking to Jason when I got on a little bit. Like there's there's been no shortage of. Um, you know, interest and uh, things to write about, which is nice, but it's definitely, you know, especially in recent weeks, it's taken on a little bit of like the um, ugly sister mentality, whereas like amongst UC fans, they're like, you know, talking about how, man, the Bearcats haven't been, haven't looked great or they could have played better in this game, but then Gary Barta gets on the screen and it's just like knives out uh, for, for, for anyone and everyone in the committee that would dare not put them in the playoffs. So, um, and you know it's 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 amongst the team too. Like you can even see, you know, whether it's post game press conferences or talking to players during the week. Like they have high expectations for themselves. They realize the expectations. You know, the style point conversation that is out there, and they they kind of understand that they're not fulfilling that, but they're also like a little bit sick of hearing that. Um, so it's you know it's 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 kind of added this layer of intrigue where it, they're honestly at least to this point this has been the best season in Cincinnati football history you know they had the undefeated season in 2009 where they went to the um the the Sugar Bowl and Orange Bowl and and kind of those couple seasons but if you just kind of look at beating Notre Dame being in the playoff conversation to this point this is the greatest season and part of the conversation is like it might not be good enough so for for Cincinnati fans that is extremely frustrating yeah isn't that kind of what's unfair here is like uh there is, and this is where you know an eight-team or twelve-team playoff. I, I don't think we probably frame things this way, but like I'm sure it is weird for Luke Fickle and his players to have this standard of basically perfection this year. Not just perfect record, but man, we got to beat people big too to, to just to just to have a shot at this. Does that? I don't know. Is that kind of taken a little bit of the joy out of this run or or do you think that they've managed to kind of stay stay focused and, and maybe not let that outside stuff uh you know get in too much they're definitely trying to and that's you know the th- that's clearly the talking points that you know you know fickle's always making sure like hey in the locker room after a win the guys need to be celebrating because it's a win um but you can just tell that the attention in general has has weighed on them a, a little bit from the outside and certainly kind of that like Oh, you have to win style points. You have to win every game by thirty. Has weighed on them a little bit. I talked. I guess it was in the off season, probably when I was doing state of the program. I talked to Fickle about, you know, he certainly understands this idea of coming into a season with like championship or bust expectations because he was at Ohio State for so long, and that was every year. Like they were expected to, you know, play for the Rose Bowl or the Big Ten Championship or, or you know BCS Bowl, whatever it was. But he, you know, in retrospect, he made a comment that was kind of interesting, which was like. A lot of times their committee, the rankings, whatever, they were almost like looking for excuses to, to keep Ohio State in the top. And so, you know, this is a totally different where he has, you know, maybe not quite the same height of expectations, but they came in with big expectations when they're beating Notre Dame. You know, they kind of got amplified a little bit, but it's not it, it's not like people are looking for excuses to put them in the playoff. Now they're kind of nitpicking all the reasons why they shouldn't be. And so that that seems to be the biggest difference between you know kind of the weight of expectations that he's familiar with Justin I'm curious how much frustration has there been amongst the fan base not just with the way the committee's treated Cincinnati but the way the committee's treated its opponents particular SMU and Houston which SMU has not cracked the rankings at any point 
Houston just finally did crack the rankings after getting to nine and one. And those are two SMU obviously on the schedule this weekend. Houston, you know, if Cincinnati makes it and does what they're supposed to do in the American Athletic Championship game, they'll face Houston there. They've already clinched a spot. How much frustration has there been on that end? Because beyond the Notre Dame win, there hasn't really been much opportunity to build the resume. Yeah, and it goes back to the thing where, you know, Cincinnati fans, if you ask them, they certainly feel like the Bearcats could have played better in some of these recent games, certainly more consistent. But then when it gets into the the, the playoff rankings and, and all of that, yeah, there, there's frustration there. You know, if you go on some of the Cincinnati message boards or, or you know, deep into the Bearcats Twitter, you're going to get all the CFP conspiracy theorists about, you know, well, they rank these lower top 25 teams. You know, that's why Fresno was in there early to prop up Oregon. And that's why all these Big Ten West teams and SEC teams get, get ranked to prop up the top teams. All of that is is in there. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been a point of frustration, especially, you know, that first week. I think either SMU had maybe just had one loss. They might have still been undefeated at the time. But, you know, that was – I think that was a, a major point of frustration for, for Cincinnati fans because it's – you know, even Mike Oresco – who you know he kind of came out and voiced what a lot of people felt which was like it's the self-fulfilling prophecy if you you don't rank those teams well you can't get ranked wins then so all of that is tied up into it um there's also this you know if Cincinnati fans were being totally honest there's this fear in the back of their mind that like Notre Dame's gonna the committee's gonna jump Notre Dame over them (laughs) at some point um which I I I you know I I I live and grew up in Cincinnati so I understand that like Cincinnati inferiority complex but it's I think there's been this push and pull for Cincinnati fans really since that Notre Dame game, which is like try to appreciate the season that the Bearcats are having because it is really special. But then they're also kind of like constantly fighting this battle of why aren't the Bearcats getting more respect? You know, what more could they possibly do to kind of get to that that top four playoff level? So it's it's been kind of an interesting dichotomy the past two months or so. Justin, do you think that if – Cincinnati had won some of these games in recent weeks by more convincing margins that, that maybe the, the conversation would be a little bit different. I mean, I, uh, they're winning and that's, and that's great, but I, I feel like they're by not winning these games against Tulsa, Tulane, et cetera, a little bit more convincingly, they're maybe giving the committee that excuse. Do you feel like that's weighed them down? I mean, certainly the, that the committee's rolled out those, you know, they've made that point, especially the first couple of weeks. Um, Gary Barta, you know, had said like, oh, that, you know, basically outside of Notre Dame, who did they beat or they struggled against Tulane and um, Navy at that point. I think there's a question of if Cincinnati had won all of these games by 30 points, would would that matter? Would the committee still say, well, yeah, they've, they've won by 30 points, but who are they beating? They could still kind of make that same argument. But yeah, it doesn't it doesn't help the discourse around Cincinnati. I think as much support as they've gotten from just media or kind of outside people, it would be a lot stronger, more fervent if they were completely blowing out these teams. And part of that is, I don't want to say Cincinnati's fault, but after that Notre Dame game, they whooped Temple, they whooped UCF. And so I think they almost kind of set this precedent of like, all right, they played Indiana, Notre Dame. Now they're just going to roll through the American. And I don't know that that's, you know, the team they are. We've certainly seen since then. They haven't necessarily, you know, won that convincingly. Um, so they almost kind of set themselves up a little bit with playing so well those first couple games. But the the style points argument, it it it's like the a taboo word now in Cincinnati. Fans are so sick of hearing that. But part of that is because I think they understand it it's what's I don't know how much it would help them, but it probably hurts them a little bit to have that one kind of 
talking point data point used against them when it comes to rankings. Yeah, I think I think the you're kind of right. I think it's a catch twenty two because if you do go out and beat all these teams by thirty, I think a lot of people would criticize the schedule even more. They'd say these teams are not very good that you're beating. So I think you kind of really can't win if you're Cincinnati in that argument. I guess that brings us to this this weekend's game against SMU, which is a chance against a really good team, despite the fact that they're not ranked. They are eight and two. Uh, they do have a quality power five win. Uh, this is an explosive offensive team. What do you, what is your sense for how Cincinnati matches up, particularly defensively against an offense that has a tremendous amount of receivers, some really good backs, and a really talented quarterback in Taylor Mordecai? Yeah, I mean, SMU is really good, I think, and so it's it would not be shocking at all if like this is the the game it kind of came crashing down for Cincinnati. Um, you know, by the same token, I also wouldn't be surprised. Cincinnati has, over the past couple of years, had a little bit of a tendency to like play to their competition, especially in conference. So, you know, I think last year they beat SMU like forty-one to ten or forty-one to seven. It was kind of a big breakout game for them early in uh, obviously a weird season last year. But uh, so I, I wouldn't be surprised by either Cincinnati coming out if they still came out and looked inconsistent and felt a little flat. I also wouldn't be surprised if they kind of came out because they've had this game circled for a while. I I think what's interesting for SMU now, a couple weeks ago all the talk was about this potentially being an undefeated matchup between both teams. Now I actually think SMU has a lot of pressure off because they have a couple losses. Even if you know Cincinnati loses this game, they still have a chance to go to the AAC championship and, and Houston's already in. So you know, SMU kind of has nothing to lose coming into this one. I, I think that probably tilts in, in SMU's favor a little bit because Cincinnati still has all those expectations. Um, but the the defense has – we've seen them struggle against the run against Tulsa. We saw them struggle in the second half against the pass against USF. But, you know, Sauce Gardner, Kobe Bryant, we, we've heard all season about how good this secondary is for Cincinnati. Like, they haven't really had a chance to prove that. UCF, Gabriel was hurt when they played them, so it wasn't like the full UCF effect. So this will really be the first game they've played against a team that is going to come in and you know everyone knows they're going to chuck it around 45, 50 times. And I, I'm interested to see how, how UC's defense and secondary specifically responds to that. Justin, setting you know some of the, the playoff discourse aside, which I'm sure you're kind of getting sick of as you, you cover this, like, do you, do you feel like you have a good sense of just how good this team is and can be? And and, and obviously, you know, look, like the, their year started by playing Georgia. So you have that a little bit of that measuring stick of seeing them play against, uh, you know, what, what ends up being this year the best defense in the country. Do you have some sense in your mind when you've watched them from week to week of just can they play with, you know, the top four teams in the country? Or do you think they're still building uh, toward that here week to week? Yeah, that's what's been interesting the past couple of weeks is when they've had these games that have been closer than they should have been, they're not playing mediocre. They're actually like oscillating between having really good stretches on either offense or defense and then just having kind of terrible stretches where they held USF to 39 first half yards, total yards in that game last Friday. And then USF came out in the second half and threw for like over 200 yards. And, it you know, it's just kind of like whether it's a lack of focus or you know, something goes wrong, a silly turnover. They, they kind of, every time they have a chance to blow out these teams in these recent games, they step in it somehow. And instead of being up by 24 points, they're up by 10 points. And that's what's been frustrating for, for fans and I think for the team itself. But when they are playing at that top level, which we've seen them play at, you know, against UCF and Temple, and honestly, against Notre Dame for big stretches of that game, you know, 
you go back and watch that game, they ended up winning by 11, I think, 24-13, but they were up 17-0 at halftime. That you know They really kind of bullied Notre Dame for a lot of that game, um, which Notre Dame is now ranked, what, eighth in the playoff, I think. Um, and you referenced the, the Peach Bowl last year. I certainly think Georgia is a better team now than they were when they played them then, but we've seen them compete with some top-tier blue blood teams. So I think if they're playing I mean, at their Cincinnati best... Cincinnati didn't have to play Stetson Bennett. That's a big difference. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. Um, if, I think when they're playing at their best, they can hang with those teams at the very least. They can compete with them. Uh, the problem over the past month has been playing at their best consistently. And I think, you know, they're going to need to do that Honestly, you know, maybe not play at their best for the whole four quarters, but they're going to have to play at their best a lot more consistently just to beat SMU and and Houston, let alone, you know, go against a a top four playoff team. So on top of all of this, Justin, you you also know that in a couple of weeks here, it's probably going to get pretty silly when it comes to this coaching carousel. What's the mood around there about Luke Fickle, his opportunities, the potential of of staying and, and staying at a school that is is moving up in the world, uh, you know, into into a P five conference versus uh, maybe some of the jobs out there that that might scare people. Yeah, so um, Luke Fickle would like an indoor practice permanent indoor practice facility. Right now, they have like a seasonal bubble they put up. Um, I can say with confidence that the university is going to make sure Luke Fickle gets his indoor permanent practice facility and. Any other things Luke Fickle probably has on a little checklist in his drawer, the administration's like, yeah, hand that over. We'll, we'll, we'll do whatever you need to do. So I don't think there's a sense. There's not a ton of worry among Bearcats fans just because they've dealt with this for the past few seasons. And especially when that Michigan State opportunity came and went, that was kind of like, all right, you know, I think this guy really does want to be here and build something. It's funny when the UCS or USC job opened up. You know, Mike Bone, former athletic director at Cincinnati, who hired Luke Fickle, is now out there. So I think in the the broader, like national media, the sense was, oh, Luke's going to be a hot candidate there. Cincinnati fans are way more concerned about James Franklin taking the USC job and Penn State being open than like Luke Fickle going to straight to USC. Um, there's there's that short list of Notre Dame, Ohio State, maybe Penn State of like jobs that I think make sense for him. But, you know, just. LSU, you know, Florida, what, what those types of schools, I don't think that's necessarily a fit for him. So I don't think fans are overly concerned about that. His name's going to pop up in all of these searches. They understand that. But what I think is more likely is as they move to the Big 12, anything Luke Fickle wants at Cincinnati, like he's he's going to get now. Um, as well he should. Like he, he's going to benefit from this coaching carousel cycle, even if it means he's he's still at Cincinnati. When you look at their future in the Big 12, obviously we're a couple years away, but when you look at it now and you look at the success some of these schools are having, what do you think Cincinnati's ceiling is down the road once they join the Big 12? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I think on the on the Audible a couple weeks ago, um, Bruce and Stu talked about, like Bruce had talked to someone, an assistant coach somewhere that, you know, mentioned he thought the, the new Big 12 was like set up for Cincinnati to succeed. I think, you know, certainly optimistically, there, there's a hope that that's the case because of their recruiting footprint um, and the way it'll kind of even expand now a little bit more into Texas. They've been recruiting Florida for a while because of, you know, the AAC, current AAC footprint. Um, I think there's this hope that, like, as long as they can kind of, as long as they're being honest about this growth, you know, 
mode that they're in moving into the big 12 building new facilities keeping luke fickle all that kind of stuff that cincinnati could get into the big 12 and compete right away um against those teams certainly you know once texas and and oklahoma leave so that's you know it is optimistic but there is a sense that they've already been recruiting at a you know power conference level in the 40s 50s uh recruiting rankings wise that that can only improve as they have some of that Big Twelve cachet to to spin on the on the recruiting trail and um, just the the success that they've built in the past couple of years. So, but the other thing too is like UCF's going to take a big jump. Houston's going to take a big jump in terms of what they're able to do. So people are aware of that, um, but there's not this sense that like Cincinnati's going to get in the Big Twelve and going to have to you know rebuild or, or or build up to competing with those teams. Again, some of that might be optimistic and hopeful um but i think if you look at what they've been able to do as a g5 school the past five years under fickle there's there's reason for that optimism i mean cincinnati byu and houston are all ranked right now and of course so is baylor and oklahoma state which will still be left so uh oklahoma right now is the only top 25 team you're losing uh they're not losing much at least in terms of football success in terms when it comes to texas so uh, i mean just as they are if dylan gabriel's healthy this year maybe maybe all four of them are in the rankings at some point who knows sure and you know Sonny dykes might be coaching in in the big 12 here soon enough <laughs> with a tcu job open so but no as just as there are a lot of uh, cfp conspiracy theorists among bearcats fans right now there's also like all those accounts that you know are trumpeting how good the new big 12 is going to be in a few years like cincinnati fans are all on board <laughs> with the new big 12 as well can Cincinnati beat Texas? That's or beat Kansas? Excuse me. Can they beat Kansas? That's the real question. <laughs> I'm, that that might be harder than beating Texas, apparently. So I, yeah. you know, from what we've seen. <laughs> well, Justin, thank you so much for joining. Uh, you know, do you have a do you have a pick for this game? You want you want to throw one out there before we get into our picks? Yeah. See, I'm I'm always so bad at predictions. I part of me is leaning towards like. Cincinnati getting their act together this weekend and because they they've had this game circled it's going to be senior night um it's, it's been a they've been looking forward to it for a few weeks so I, I kind of lean more towards like not blowing them out but maybe a comfortable two or three score win for Cincinnati uh but I I will in no way be shocked if it's like if it kind of flips and goes the other way um because they have struggled to to do it consistently for the past few weeks but and um in the spirit of the season, I'll say that Cincinnati gets their their act together a little bit and, and and puts a win together against SMU. I think, guys, have we been saying that pretty much every week? We've been doing picks here for the last <laughs> month. Like, oh, Cincinnati needs to stop points; they're going to cover this. Yeah, yeah, we have. I, I I will say that last week I I I was I got smart and and took South Florida to cover just because of the trend, and part of that was because I saw what South Florida did to Houston. So, uh, so I, I I did I did finally figure that out last week but this week's going to be really interesting with smu i I really think it's going to be compelling and uh, this is a less a less ridiculous line to like i think it's somewhere between 10 and 12 oh yeah Yeah. okay so some you know the the 24 and 27 that they were excuse me 10 and a half yeah that they were expected to cover the past couple weeks yeah that one that one was the way cincinnati's been playing that didn't make a ton of sense but this one seems at least a little bit more reasonable Gonna be interesting. Justin, thanks so much, man. Thanks, guys. Always appreciate it. All right. Thank you to Justin for, for joining us again this season. Uh let's 
let, let's get break down these picks, guys. We've we've talked a lot already, so we're gonna kind of run through these fast, uh, especially because uh, Jason and I are, are doing so poorly that uh, <laughs> people really shouldn't dwell too much on on what we're about to say here. Uh, let's let's recap the standings here. Sam, fifty one and thirty four, six and two last week. Yeah, you're a legend. Uh, I am now forty and forty five. I went four and four last week. I'm I'm just trying to get to five hundred. Trying to have one good great week here. Jason, thirty nine and forty six, two and six last week. What's up, man? What's I'm deeply on? ashamed because there okay? was. Do you guys remember there was a point in this season when I was in first place? There was like, about week three, four. I was in first place, feeling really good about myself. And Max was in last. Yeah. So now he's past you, Jason. What the heck, man? It's gotta be, just gotta be process driven, not outcome driven here, guys. You know? <laughs> gotta, gotta stick with it here. All right, let's start. Uh, Iowa State at Oklahoma, number 13 Sooners, are a four-point favorite at home. 11 a.m. kick on Fox. Sam, what do you got? I am taking the Cyclones. Uh, Oklahoma Oklahoma has not earned my trust uh, over its play, especially over last week. And I know it's in Norman, but Cyclones should have, I guess, could have won last week. The loss on the miracle field goal that we talked about, but I'm taking the Clones to cover. So give me them in points. Jason? You know, I'm going to take OU to cover and win. And and the reason is I think that the the bigger danger for them is next week in Stillwater. I think this week uh, at home, they'll, they'll look good. I think they'll win. I don't know by how much, but I do think they'll, they'll cover the spread and, and, uh, and win and, and make us all think that Bedlam's going to be uh, an epic game when, when maybe it won't be. Uh, I'm going to go with Sam here. I, I'm going to take Iowa State plus four, just just out of the thinking that it's going to be a closer game than four. Uh, I, I think clones of clones will get up for this one and and have been really close in a lot of games this year, uh, even if it hasn't broken the way they 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 hoped it would in terms of contending for a Big Twelve title. Uh, next, we got Texas at West Virginia, Mountaineers three point favorite, huge game in terms of one of these teams getting to a bowl game. Uh, 11 a.m. kick on ESPN two. Jason, what do you think? Give me the Mountaineers. Uh, I, I just think Texas is in bad shape right now. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're, I, I don't think they're going to make a bowl. So give me the Mountaineers. That Sam. is, that is just unbelievable to think about the concept that they're not going to make a bowl. Uh, it still it's, takes a minute. It's really not to reconcile. It's really not. If you covered year one of Herman, you covered year, <laughs> year one of Strong. I keep saying it. It keeps coming true. I know, but they were 32 and 18 the four years before this, which I know got the last guy fired. But yeah, sure uh, did. But, but, but still, I mean, they, they made a bowl every year that he was there. Uh, so I got to agree with Jason. I'm taking the Mountaineers because I cannot conceivably trust Texas until it proves it worthy of doing so. And they've lost five straight. So, and they lost the damn Kansas. So give me the Mountaineers to cover. And and to add to that, unfortunately they lost Bijan for the season too. That's right. So uh, Josh Thompson's know, out also the start Josh corner. Thompson. So they were, they were banged up last year. You know, Xavier worthy looked banged up in that game against Kansas. Um, I'm going to take West Virginia to cover the three as well. I could see it going the other way. I could, uh, but same man, Texas got to figure it out. Uh, we, we don't pick them until we trust them and we don't trust them. Uh, next up Kansas at TCU. TCU is a 21 and a half point favorite. Who made this line? Come on, man. <laughs> Come I on. Think Kansas, Texas closed at like 31 last week. I, I believe if anyone listened to that podcast, I believe we did tell you to take Kansas plus 30 and a half or 31 or whatever it was. So now TCU who's playing 
terribly uh, as a 21 and a half point favorite at home against Kansas. Uh, this seems a little suspicious. What do you think, Sam? Jayhawks, man. There's no way I could take TCU to cover 21 and a half after they got blasted. They gave up 447 on the ground. Come on, man. I can't. I can't. I got to take got to take the Jayhawks after their historic win. Got to ride. We, we all picked the Jayhawks last week. It worked out. Let's do it again. Let it ride. Go KU. I'm rolling with the Jayhawks, too. Max? It is it is unreal to see where TCU has fallen now in terms of stop rate, run defense, all the all the defensive metrics this year. These are the two worst defenses in 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 the conference in terms of stop rate and 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 playing defense. Maybe they'll be a lot of points, but yeah, let's do it. Kansas plus twenty one and a half. I <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't know. Uh, that is that game going to be weirdly fun to watch? I think it might be. It might be another fifty seven, fifty six type game like we got last week with Texas. Nothing Maybe weird so. about it, Max. It's going to be fun to watch. Chandler Moore is <laughs> going to get back to throwing it around the yard now that he's not playing Oklahoma State. Hey, folks, this is this is one of those games that makes you buy that ESPN Plus subscription. Not that I would ever shill for ESPN. Okay, number eleven <laughs> Baylor at Kansas State. K State one point favorite. K-State one-point favorite at Interesting. Home. Interesting. 430 kick, FS1. Uh, why is Kansas State a one-point favorite? Because they've won four in a row. I mean, they've been playing pretty yeah. well. I mean, they, they are looking good. Tech, TCU, Kansas, West Virginia. Uh, they, they are back on a roll. Uh, seven and three. Uh, Chris Kleiman's got the thing going back in the right direction. But Baylor... But Vegas is a little suspicious of Baylor, I guess. Maybe so. Maybe so. But... I mean, Baylor, to me, too complete, too experienced at this point. I think they're mature enough to go get the road win, so I'll take the Bears. Jason? Likewise, I'm, I'm taking the Bears. I, I was honestly surprised by this line, uh, especially after seeing Baylor in person last week. So I'm going Baylor. Yeah, I'll take Baylor plus one as well. There's there's something a little fishy about that one, though. Uh, last Big 12 game here. Got number nine, Oklahoma State. Going to Lubbock. Night game in Lubbock. That's a trap. I mean, that, that, bottom line, that's a trap. Oklahoma State is a ten and a half point favorite on the road uh, against a Texas Tech team that is is you know starting to feel itself going to a bowl game. Good job by you, Tech. Uh, Sam, what's what's the move here? Saturday night at the Jones before Bedlam, man, that is just scary. I, and Tech has got Tech is playing well offensively with Donovan Smith pulling the trigger. I want to take Tech to cover, I really do, but Oklahoma State deserves more respect than that. This is tough. I'm gonna take Oklahoma State. I'm gonna. I, they deserve. They've earned that respect from from me. That what they did at TCU and Tech is better than TCU at this point in the season now. But Oklahoma State deserves that respect that they'll go in there and take care of business. So I'll take the pokes. I'm gonna take Oklahoma State as well. I just think that, like I said, defensively, I think they can just kind of keep keep. I'm not saying they're gonna hold Texas Tech to 15, but I I, I think that they're gonna be able to. Uh, dictate the game a little bit, and I'd be surprised if they gave up a ton of points in this game. You know, haven't given up twenty five to anybody. Jason, what do you think? I'm. I, I want to preface this by saying I am a believer in Oklahoma State. I think they're going to win the game. Um, Here we go. But <laughs> I think Tech covers just because of like you guys said. It's it's a night game in Lubbock, Bedlam, a, a very huge, massive, important Bedlam game is one week away. Um, I could just see this one being a little closer than people think. So I'm going to take Tech to cover, but OSU to win. Also, right, I real, need to catch up. So. Oh, you, you sure do. You sure do. Okay, <laughs> real quick here. Future Big 12 members, Friday night, Memphis at number 24, Houston. Houston finally ranked. Houston, eight and a half point favorite. 
potentially slightly trappy. What do you think, guys? Yeah, potentially. It's their last conference game. They can finish out the regular season undefeated here with this one. But I'll take the Cougs. I'm going to sneak over to TDECU on Friday night and go check this one out. But their defense to me is just too good. And I, th- I think uh, they've been doing a good job. I think they, they've kept it on an even keel. They haven't really gone up and down too much. So I, I'm going to take Cougs to cover. Likewise. I will do the same, Jason. Yep. Yep. Me too. Okay. The big one. SMU at number five, Cincinnati. Cincinnati, 10.5 point favorite. 230 kick on ESPN. I'm uh, I'm not sure. Jason, what do you want to what do you want to do here? I'm taking uh I'm taking the Mustangs. Give give me SMU uh in this one. Not uh, I I'm not necessarily saying I think they'll win, but just Cincinnati is not uh covered much. We we keep picking or I feel like I've picked them to cover many times and been burned. So I'm gonna take SMU. Uh, to cover on this one, Sam. My pick's already out there. We did our week twelve, uh, week twelve roundtable on the athletic, and my upset pick is SMU at Cincinnati. I think they're going to go in there and win. Uh, Cincinnati has played with their food a little too much lately, and against this SMU team that is oozing talent at the skill positions, they have a ton of receivers. By the way, if you don't know the name Danny Gray, na- the yep. nation will learn it this weekend. Yeah. Uh, so I'm taking the ponies to, to win at Cincinnati. And if you don't know the name Ulysses Bentley, I mean. That's right. Join U- the party. Ulysses here. Bentley, the fourth. The fourth. Um, I know. I think I'm going to take SMU plus 10 and a half as well. I, I think it maybe is too many points. Um, I could see Cincinnati's defense really showing out in this one. But, uh, man, I, I think this one's going to be pretty awesome to watch. Uh, last two here real quick. UConn at UCF. I will not be watching this football game. <laughs> UCF is a 30 and a half point favorite. Uh, we feeling pretty good about UCF 30 and a half. Yeah. Against UConn. Come on, man. Always got to pick against UConn. By the way, UConn gets the pleasure of playing Houston next week in the season finale. So Jason is the, yeah. is the Jim Moore jr. Era starting off with a win here. <laughs> uh, I'm going with UCF as well. G- g- okay. Give me the Knights. And then UCF back in action. Number 14 in the playoff this poll this week. Uh, they are a 20 and a half point favorite at Georgia Southern. Uh, what do you think? BYU. BYU. Yeah. Yeah. BYU. Easy peasy. Easy peasy. And Covering 20 and a half. If I picked them, y'all should all pick them because I'm getting all the picks right. That's right. That's right. Follow Sam to freedom. <laughs> Thanks, guys, and thanks to all of you, as always, for listening. We're here every Thursday in the Annie Staples Show and Friends feed. So if you haven't already, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find our stories on The Athletic. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you can sign up with our latest promotional offer at theathletic.com slash one true pod. You're going to get comprehensive coverage of this college football season and so much more. Now is a great time to sign up, and we will see you next time. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.